Thank you for joining us at Conversations to Inspire. I am your host, Teresa Moore. There are many facets of our mind-body-spirit connection. In this episode, we explore the mind and spirit connection with our guest, Dr. Victor Schiller. Victor is a chiropractor who owns and operates Animity Health and Wellness Center in Keele, Wisconsin. Victor has been recognized as an award-winning blogger. He hosted a podcast or a radio show for three years and is also the author of two books, Rise Above, Criticism, Negativity, and Conflict, and Mediocre No More, Five Core Strategies to Awaken Your Inner Greatness. Victor is also a college educator, a public speaker, and a coach. In this episode, we discuss Victor's podcast or radio show and some of the valuable lessons he learned while hosting and speaking with experts from around the world that were his guests on his blog, talk, radio show. Victor teaches us about meditation and mindfulness, living a more purposeful life, and his journey toward a deeper connection and understanding of God. Victor explains his journey and encourages others to find God in their personal life please visit his website, animity.com, to learn more, and you can find his books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Here is my conversation with Dr. Victor Schiller. Thank you for joining us at Conversations to Inspire. I am here with Dr. Victor Schiller, a chiropractor, educator. Can you tell us a little bit more about your practice, your journey, how you got into chiropractic, and how you got started in teaching anatomy and physiology as well? My journey with chiropractic started when I was in college, the woman who I now am married to was a chiropractic patient. And believe it or not, I started out college as a music education major. I was very interested in music and had aspirations to become a music teacher. And she went in for her chiropractic appointment. I thought it was pretty interesting. I wasn't quite sure if music was what I wanted to continue to do. So I was intrigued by chiropractic and not even being a chiropractic patient or anybody who had any affiliation or association with chiropractic before. I decided that was something that I wanted to pursue. And from there, then I just redirected my studies into that direction. And then I got my bachelor's and then I went to school in Illinois and then got my doctor of chiropractic there. About a year after I began working as a chiropractor, then I had the opportunity to teach. And so then I became a college instructor and I worked full-time for quite a few years and then as I got along with teaching, I was probably about 12, 13 years in and doing that full-time and only doing that, then I made the decision to get back into the chiropractic realm of things and get back into chiropractic. And so then it was an opportunity for me to open up this practice here, and I'm glad I did it. So that's how I got to here. You offer a lot of varied services here. Can you tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about some of the things that you offer to help your patients? Yeah. When I first started... That was pre-COVID, so think the world looked a lot different, and my office looked a lot different at that time. When I first opened up, and because I, I had more time on my hands starting a new practice, don't have a lot of patience, I tried to integrate more aspects of wellness, offering classes and offering nutritional consulting and things along those lines that were very much in line with what I had been doing separate from education for several years as a coach and a speaker and an author. And so I started to take those things that I was offering to the community, offering to industry, as far as how to live a more productive life, more purposeful life, trying to take those holistic ideas and try to integrate them into what I did here. 
I would do some wellness coaching and things along those lines. In the back area, which I call the studio where we're sitting right now, the idea was to offer classes in self-development, areas of social, emotional wellness, and physical wellness, and worked with partners in the community to offer in this space yoga classes, meditation classes, and the like. And then COVID happened, and then that changed things a lot. And as we're kind of working our way through that yet and working out, in the meantime, the practice got busier. And so right now, primarily what I focus on in my office is the chiropractic side of things, providing chiropractic care to my patients. Because I always have to be mindful, and it's not a hard thing to be mindful of, but I always am mindful that I do have a family. I do have a full-time job as an educator. And so this chiropractic aspect of my life and my work needs to fit in within those confines. So I don't look at the chiropractic as the main thing that I have going on. It's a very important thing that I have going on in my life. The patients that I take care of, I take care of them, and I take that aspect of my practice very seriously. But at the same time, I just have to make sure that I'm mindful of how much time I'm spending in all those different avenues in my life. So I'm not getting that out of balance. Because of the patient volume that comes through here, I primarily am doing chiropractic work, just taking care of people's aches and pains and getting them better and feeling better. And that is primarily what my focus is these days. You have such an interesting group of offerings here with the wellness, wellness consulting, and the social and emotional wellness. Do you also still teach along those lines for your patients or for the community? The opportunity is certainly there. How much demand there is for that, I don't know. But I really haven't done too much of that since COVID just because of the combination of the amount of time and effort it takes to promote those things, to make it meaningful and purposeful and beneficial for whoever partakes in it. And also because of the increased volume of patients that I see here that are looking for chiropractic care for the treatment of their physical aches and pains. So I don't really do too much of that nowadays, and I haven't done too much of it since COVID just because of the combination of those two reasons. I want to dive a little bit more into those facets of your life because I find that our listeners are seeking that as well. But before we do, you also have a really interesting background as far as you used to host a podcast. You did a little bit of teaching in different realms of that area as well. Do you mind explaining some of those other things that you did? Sure. So, boy, back in uh, 2009, 2010, so that would have been quite a few years ago now, I was intrigued with this just simple question, which was why is it that some people live a life where they generally are happy, satisfied, and they can, not that they don't deal with difficulties, but when difficulties come, they're able to manage it, they're able to work through it. And then there are some people that no matter what they experience, they gravitate toward the negative and they struggle, just plainly put. And so I was really intrigued by that question. Why do some people seem to work through it okay? Why do some people struggle? So I just started doing a deeper dive and just doing my own personal research in the areas of social and emotional wellness, areas of the mind, the brain, neurological physiology, neurophysiology, 
And even, I guess you could branch off into psychology, although I don't have any expertise in psychology or in those areas, but just trying to understand human behavior a little bit better. And so uh, for a good year plus, that's all I did. I just, just kept reading and learning and researching and searching. And eventually, as I started doing that, I then felt that I had something that I could share. So as I was learning and I was gaining more knowledge and information, I felt that there might be an opportunity for me to use what I was learning and to share my experiences, not that I was necessarily an expert in these things, but more so an experiencer of these things, and then trying to share those experiences with other people who might be interested. And you had also done a lot of research in those areas. Yeah. What I started doing then is I started blogging. So I started just writing. But the other aspect of it was that I didn't want to do it in a vacuum. And I certainly was learning from people. So I had this desire and this interest in getting to network with other people who maybe had something that they could share. Either it was someone who had expertise or knowledge in growing in the area that I was growing in from a practical standpoint. How is it that you become a better blogger and a better sharer of information? And how do you continue to get out there and speak with other people and speak to people about these things to help them benefit and help them grow? So from a practical perspective, trying to pick the brain of these people who have expertise and knowledge in those areas, but then also taking the learning part of it and then reaching out and networking with people who had something that they could teach me about the topic that I was covering, a two-pronged process. So trying to network with people who can help me grow in two different ways. So I started reaching out and reaching out to people who were maybe speakers or people who were authors to understand that part of the industry, other bloggers also to get a better understanding and plugged into that industry, and then also still reaching out and pursuing contacts as far as authors and so forth. But what I found was very interesting, the discovery kind of happened all at the same time, was that in my efforts to try to reach out to people who had knowledge in the content area, what I'm learning about, not so much about the speaking and the blogging and all that, but the people that I was trying to get information from so I could grow as far as what I learned, were not always the most receptive to, to taking time to speak to someone. If I would say to them, hey, I had some questions for you. I was wondering if you had some time for us to talk. They would not be responsive to that. But as it was over on the other side of things, how to grow and how to expand and how to get more, get in front of more people and more exposure. One of the ideas that, that I came across was to host your own online radio show, which we would call these days a podcast. And I thought, well, that's intriguing. So I'm like, okay, well, let's try this. So what I would do is I would approach an author or someone and I would say, hey, I like your book or I like your website or I like what you have to offer, and I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind joining me on my show for an interview so we can talk about your whatever. You didn't realize how ahead of your time you really were. So then these people then were willing to do it. 
And not that I had any followers or listeners, but I learned that when you ask people if they'd like to talk about themselves to you in an interview format, I'm not speaking negatively on anybody, but it just seems like people are more inclined to do that. And so that kind of opened the door to me talking to lots of really cool people and awesome people who had a lot to teach me. Again, the growth was in two different ways where I was growing and learning. But the neat thing about the podcast or the radio show, as it was called at the time, was that I was right there learning with everybody else. So as I was doing this interview, I'm learning, but then I'm taking what I'm learning and sharing it with anybody else who cares to know or cares to listen. And so we were all learning together. I really looked at the radio show or the podcast as really good personal and professional development that I was doing on a weekly basis. And years later, when I was actually, I think it was with a speaking group or something like that, that was one of the words of advice they gave for growing and developing. They said, interview one person a week. And I was like, I'm doing that. I've been doing that for how many years? So, you know, there was a lot of growth and there was a lot of learning. That's interesting because that's a similar format to this podcast because I'm learning right alongside the listeners. I get to share what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's part of my own self-enrichment, my own self-growth journey. Absolutely. And that's what it was. It was just about that. So it was about learning. So I did that for, oh man, I must have done that for almost three years or about three years. And it was over 120 episodes we did. Now, it wasn't 120 separate interviews. Sometimes it would extend into multiple weeks and stuff like that. But it was a it was a short show. It was like 30 minutes because at the time it was through Blog Talk Radio. And Blog Talk Radio, I don't know if they even exist anymore, if they still, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But it was a very interesting format because they had a freebie account at the time and you were limited to 30 minutes. And so I'm like, 30 minutes it is. And it was incredible the amount of information I could get in 30 minutes from these people, but I think it was nice keeping it short like that. And it taught me how to be a little bit brief because I'm not a person who's brief. If you sit down and you start talking with me, I could talk forever and maybe not going in the right direction, but I can talk. So that was really nice to keep me disciplined, but it allowed me to really interact with a lot of people and it was really cool. But the format was very interesting because it was like a radio show, but the audio quality of that, if you listen to my my episodes, it's like phone quality. So what you would actually do is you would actually call, I would, the host, I would call a phone number, and then that phone number would interact with a web interface from Blog Talk Radio. And then I could control like the sounds and the background music and all that stuff and the volume and all that. It was a pretty cool format and it worked really well. So yeah, it was neat. That is, that's really interesting way to do it. And it's very cool that you actually even found it as a way to share your voice and to share your learning. That was fun. It was a fun time. Then from there, you segued into what? As all things go, you can continue to do something for a long period of time. But as you do those things, you're going to grow and you're going to develop. And I kind of live in that world all the time because chiropractic is about dealing with the human body and aches and pains. But aches and pains are pretty straightforward. They have pretty straightforward causes. So things don't change a lot in the actual content of what you're doing. I teach anatomy and physiology, same thing. The body doesn't really change. They're not really discovering new body parts. And we have to learn about what the body parts are. And there are people who are continually trying to learn more about the body from a learner's perspective so that they can become healthcare practitioners. 
year to year, day to day, things don't change much for me as a person because the content doesn't change. But maybe the way you do it changes. And maybe the way that you approach things changes. So doing that, doing the blogging and doing the radio show, while there were things that were leading to growth and development, after a while, they start to take on a particular nature. You can continue to change with it, or you can step back and say, I think I've gotten all I need to out of this, but also I need to reassess what role this has in my life and how it's adding to my life, or ask the question, is it even adding to my life anymore? And so as I started to get further along and and do the radio show, what I discovered was, I wouldn't say getting to the top as far as like understanding everything I needed to understand. There was a ton more I had to learn. But I think what was happening was it was starting to turn into kind of like the same type of thing that was presenting itself as far as like the guests and the topics. What I started to see was that there were a lot of people who were actually approaching me and asking, they were looking to expand their voice. If they had a book or they had something, they were reaching out to me and asking if they could be on my show. Because by that time I was building a show and I had all these episodes. So they knew that I, was, I wasn't just a flash in the pan. And, but they were coming to me and they were presenting topics along the lines of becoming a better person or realizing your ultimate self or your higher self. And it was this desiring to, to reach higher and to reach higher and to reach higher. For me, it was, while I understood and resonated with what they said, for me, it wasn't becoming an educational process anymore. It was kind of like, yeah, I've heard this before, but it wasn't you saying it. It was just this other person saying it. And then, you know, the next person comes on and they say something like, yeah, okay, well, I've heard that before, but you weren't the first one to say it. I've heard it from them and them before. So I wasn't getting presented with much new information that it was benefiting me anymore from an educational standpoint. And so at that point, I just kind of decided that it was time to kind of let that go. And quite honestly, I didn't want to keep it up because I was looking at it, I'm like, boy, where have I come? Why am I doing this? Right. How is it serving you and others? Right. And so those two things started to fall away. And as I started to do that, it was kind of like a natural process. It was kind of like a season where it kind of was coming to the end, but it also was kind of ushering in a new part of my life and a new new season of my life where I was looking at things very extrinsically and concerned about how many people are reading this and how many people are listening to this. And if I write this, what kind of impact is this going to have? And how many people are reading that? And how many people are liking my page on Facebook? And how many people are following me on Twitter? And how many people are doing all this stuff? And I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And why am I even doing this? And so what I did is I basically just stopped and I told these people in my network, I just said, I'm done. I had a great time with you guys and I would love to stay in touch with you and keep in touch, but I'm not going to continue to be part of this networking type of process. But there was a lot of things that were positive developments in it where I got to be a better writer and I got to be a better person in, in that regard and better at sharing my ideas and sharing my information. And, you know, there were extrinsic things like they would have these 
rankings. Every once in a while, a certain website or something would rank the top personal development bloggers in the world or whatever. And I would get on the list and all these people that were the, my blogging friends would be on the list. And it was cool to see all that. And it was cool to, uh, to get all that because you knew that you were making an impact on the world. But again, it was, it was like, how is it affecting me? It was very extrinsic and very selfish. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Circling back to those things that you were learning from the people that you had on your podcast show, what were some of the standout things that you remember as life lessons that you incorporated into your own life? Oh, man. Because that all became part of your journey. Yeah. I would say the there were a few that were like standout people. And not to say that they are, I'm not saying these people, I'm saying the topics or the things I learned when I'm going to mention these things, that was very temporal. That was at a certain time in my life. Not to say that those are things that are still big or they're still majorly influential on me today. I know that there were some conversations I had with with a very wonderful woman. Her name was Melody Fletcher, and she did a lot of things with Law of Attraction. She was really good, and she really had a had, she I don't know if she still is out there <laughs> if so melody hi she taught me a lot of things and she was a really good coach to just pull things out and just extract things from me and so sometimes we would talk and it would turn into a coaching session without even wanting it to because if she would ask me a question I'd say something and she'd ask me some more questions and she'd fish stuff out of me and I'm like you know I never thought of it that way so she was very impactful and she does law of attraction things as far as things that I brought to industry, corporate culture, Dave Logan was a big one. He wrote Tribal Leadership. And that's a really neat book on different leadership styles and strategies and how there are different phases of leadership. And based on where your company is, as far as like their mindset or their attitude, you can rise to higher levels of functioning. So his stuff was very influential and very helpful. And then I would say the other two that were really influential for me would be, not that I interviewed him because he had passed away, but the works of nonviolent communication. Marshall Rosenberg was his name, Marshall Rosenberg. He wrote books on nonviolent communication. That was a big one that I really learned a lot about. And actually that was a huge part of what I did for businesses and in my presentations on how we speak to each other and how we speak to each other in a way that does not encourage people to have an emotional response to what we say and what we do. So that would be things like when you tell someone how something impacted you, instead of saying, that made me feel sad or that made me angry, we don't want to say that someone else did something that caused something bad to happen to someone else. So if I said, you made me angry when you said that, what you're doing is you're basically holding that person responsible for your emotions and your feelings. Instead of owning your own feelings and saying, I feel angry because my anger is coming from an unmet need and maybe I needed reassurance or I needed security, or I needed your, I needed something from you, or I needed something from someone else. And so instead of talking about how other people are forcing us to feel certain ways, turning that around and understanding we are responsible for our own feelings 
because of deficiencies within ourselves. So that was a big one. That is huge. That's yeah. a huge life lesson for anyone to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you teach that to your kids, it really transforms the way that they look at the world and the way that they look at, at things. And I've seen that firsthand. Yeah, that um, would be very dynamic and oh, very yeah. life-changing. Yeah. And so that actually was a big part of what I did. And you uh, said that was Marshall Rosenberg? Yeah. And yeah. his book entitled I think it's just Nonviolent Communication. I think so. Nonviolent Communication. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you type in NVC or nvc.org, they have a lot of free resources on their website that are really helpful too. And it was those teachings that I took and used those to help other people. And I did a presentation at the was it the National Wellness Institute's conference, I don't know, many years ago. And then they actually contacted me after it was done. And they said that the feedback from that session was very positive. And then they asked if I would do a webinar for them later on that year. And I did that. And actually, I took the basically like the transcript from that webinar, and I transformed that into a book, which I think was called Rise Above. I should remember the name of my own book, but it tells, it tells how long I've been out of the element. Rise Above Criticism, Negativity, and Conflict or something like that. Say um, it again. Rise Above Criticism, Negativity, and Conflict. I think By that's Victor what Schiller yeah. on Amazon, yeah, I think Barnes & Noble, all great bookstores. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. But you'd have to get it. It's not in the bookstore. You'd have to order it online and then they'll ship you the book or whatever. Excellent. So that was a big one. And I had used that and actually worked with a lot of people on those concepts to help in that regard. And then the other person who was very influential and I learned a lot from was Bruce Lipton. And I love Bruce Lipton. And he wrote the book. Well, his first book was The Biology of Belief. And that's basically looking at how what you think or what you are led to believe based on what you take in through your five senses, then will have a physical impact on your body. And Bruce Lipton's work and the work of Thurman Fleet, who's actually a chiropractor, are very paralleled with each other. Bob Proctor would be a guru in the self-development field, and he was probably one of the big ones that would use the stick man analogy. So basically, you have the conscious mind, the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind. And the conscious mind is aware of everything that we take in as sensory, our five senses, taste, touch, smell, hearing, vision. And then everything gets processed consciously, but then it also gets processed unconsciously or subconsciously. And whatever you consciously believe to be true will get passed down to the subconscious mind. And then the subconscious mind has no choice but to carry that out physically in your body. And that's the basis of Bruce Lipton's work. And without getting into his work too much, he basically turned upside down the way that we look at the cell, because we looked at the cell as the nucleus of the cell being the brain of the cell. And, and then the nucleus of the cell tells the cell what to do. And he said, no, that's wrong, because a cell can live without its nucleus, but a cell can't live without its cell membrane. And it was actually the cell membrane that, and its receptors that are receptive to the environment. And so if you basically are stressed, you are releasing stress hormones in your body. Those stress hormones are gonna have an effect on your cells. It's gonna tell your cell we're dealing with stress because these things are interacting with the cell membrane. And then the cell is gonna change its behavior because of that. And cells make tissues, make organs, make the whole body. So if you elevate that through the levels of organization, you're gonna see that what we believe 
and we believe to be true is going to carry itself out through what we do physically. And so that was a very big one as well. So those are the main topics. That again sounds very intriguing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bruce Lipton, he's a good he's a good interview. If you can get him for an interview, he's good. He's kind of like what I'm doing to you right now, where you ask a question and then I don't shut up for like forever. I asked him like a question. Usually my interviews are like, you know, question, answer, question, answer and stuff. And then I asked him a question and he gave me like a 10 to 15 second answer. He said, would you like me to explain it more? I said, yes. And then he talked for like the next hour, but it was all cool. It was really good stuff. And that material and that information is dynamic and Mm -hmm. it's so life-changing and it's not what we are normally being taught in mainstream, either medical schools or anything. Correct. It's completely different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Those were very impactful lessons that I learned for sure. So as far as your life journey, those were probably all pivotal moments, putting things in your bank and your mental capacity of, oh my gosh, this is maybe a new way to look at things, a new way to live my life, a new way to approach things. And that led you on a journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Where did that take you after you decided to, the podcast, the blog, all of those things had fulfilled themselves? Yeah. You're an author, you were a public speaker. Um, a lot of it was like coaching. Speaking to a group about something or a topic and then coaching. Those are what I was doing in addition to the blogging. After that, you transitioned again. And Mm -hmm. what did that pivot look like? So as I was phasing out of that part of what I was doing. Almost like that chapter of your life. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So as I transitioned out of that realm, doing the radio show and the blogging, as I transitioned that and entered that different chapter in my life, what I started to realize is that there was a lot of, there's a lot of emptiness in there. And it's not that empty, like I was lonely or I was in a bad spot or anything like that. It was just like, why am I doing this? Why? And there's a lot of vanity in that stuff. Not that everybody who does it is vain and not that everybody who has a purpose to do these things, that they're vain. I'm not saying that at all. For me personally, there was, and I'm not, I'm not a vain person. I would hope if you asked most people, they would say I'm pretty humble, pretty down to earth. I'm not a person who likes to talk about myself or do a lot to talk myself up. It's all about what can I do to help other people? But there are a lot of things that I was doing in that realm, speaking and coaching and writing and all that stuff that was just kind of like, you do it and then you do it to wait to see what bounces back. Who are you going to influence? How many people are affected by what you do? How many people are listening to what you're saying or reading what you're saying? And after a while, it's just kind of like, huh, I don't need that anymore. I don't want it. I don't need it. And what's the importance of it? So I started to go within, dive in, inside, and do self-exploration and just try to understand what's going on inside of me and trying to find that higher, more important purpose for why we do things. And so that led me then to the world of mindfulness, meditation, contemplation, and those things. And so again, like with anything else, then it becomes a lot about research, networking with people, getting to know people, and getting to understand these things and try to find out what I can extract from that. There were a couple of people that I came to know and learn from, people who still walk the face of this earth, people who don't walk the face of the earth anymore, but still had a a positive impact on the world through what they were able to teach. 
but I was able to learn a lot from those practices. Mindfulness meditation learned a lot about myself, and those analyses can get pretty deep. And it's a never-ending search and pursuit for a better self, basically. What were some of the key points that you did learn? Well, that might be a heavy question. It, it is, but initially, I guess finding out finding out more about the nature of things, the nature of the world, the nature of yourself, and again, this gets really deep, but also understanding how your mind works, how your brain works, how thoughts are generated, what we do with thoughts, how we process thoughts, and then you start getting really deep into, okay, am I thinking these thoughts? Who am I? Does I exist? Am I observing or am I being observed? Am I the watcher or am I watching the watcher? It gets it's pretty, pretty deep. Oh my gosh, yeah, it does. If you spend enough time in contemplation, meditation and contemplation, you go places that you don't know, that you didn't know before. And you, again, you get to learn a lot about yourself, but it's one of those things that it's like starting at the top of something and digging, and then you find something and you're like, well, that's interesting. Let's look at that a little bit more. And then you dig more and you're like, okay, well, oh, now I found something else. Okay, I'm going to dig further, and you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And I don't even know if there is an end to it. And I don't even know if I need to find an end to it. But I know that that was a, a big component of those practices was just getting to understand self much better. And at the same time, it's a maddening cycle because a lot of these practices are, are predicated upon losing the self or losing the ego, let's just say the ego, right? The sense of awareness, sense of I-ness, like who I am. And so you find out that this is a pretty frustrating practice because let's just go there for a second. Okay, so if I decide that I, the I needs to go away, who's gonna determine or decide that the I needs to go away? Me, right? And me is I. Right, so it's like telling your teeth to bite themselves. How can you dissolve something that requires the thing that is being dissolved to do the dissolving? It's like asking water to make itself wet, right? So you can see how this process and this pursuit can get pretty pretty deep because sometimes there's futility in it too because you say, okay, I want to give up desires, okay? But the act of trying to give up a desire implies that you desire to no longer desire, so to desire not to desire is a desire. See what I'm saying? <laughs> the puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Then you start asking the question, why is this important? The bigger question. Mm -hmm. So why is it important? Why do people meditate? Why are people mindful? Why? My answer to that would be because they want to be a better person than they are, or they want to realize the highest version of themselves that they can be, or they want to be the best person that they can be. Okay. But is, is that the only way you can accomplish that? So if you're mindful and you meditate and you dig through these layers and keep going deeper and deeper and deeper until you finally get to the point where you maybe dissolve your mind or your I-ness goes away or whatever it is, is that the only way you can get there? Is that the only way you can realize your true self? And then again, where's the purpose in all that too? What purpose does that lead to? How does that make you a better person? How does that make you a more productive citizen of this earth? How does that make you a more productive person? 
And that's what you look at. And when I say these things, I'm not talking negatively about meditation or mindfulness at all. I think they're very valuable practices and I think they do have a lot to offer. At the same time, I believe when we engage in these practices, we have to be, pardon the term, but you have to be mindful of why you're doing it. If I want to be in a meditation session, so someone's facilitating a meditation session and I am the person in the session, why do I want to do that? Maybe because I want to keep my emotions better under control so I don't have outbursts of anger. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's because I don't like who I am and I want to be more calm and I want to be more whatever. Or maybe it's because the world is rushing past me and it's going so fast and I need to just slow down and learn how to be mindful. And all those are very, very legitimate reasons why you would want to engage in a practice like that. Absolutely. I don't disagree. Because we all have ambitions and we all have dreams and we all have things that we want to accomplish. And so through these practices of mindfulness and meditation, we can learn a lot about ourselves and then we can learn about how we can do what we need to do and what we can do to help us accomplish those goals. That's fine. And that's perfectly good. I would say that we also have to look at why we do these things and why these practices are there. And as I began to do those things more, I began to realize that, again, like I said, there's some futility in that because it's really easy for people who start these things to get frustrated or disenfranchised by it, or even just give it up. I've been in these meditation groups with people, meditation groups online with these people, and they come in and they're really hardcore. I mean, they're there, they're attending all the time, and then all of a sudden they just disappear. They give up. They can't sustain that. It's hard to do. It's, that's why I call it practice. It's hard to do. And some days are better than others, and some days are worse than others, but it's a matter of persisting and seeing it through. And there is value in those practices, and there are things that you learn, and there are things that can help you and benefit you. And I remember when I first started doing meditation with an online group several years ago, it was hardcore, at least for me it was, where sometimes we'd be sitting there meditating for like an hour, and you're feeling what it's doing to your body, and your mind is ooh, you know, all over the place. But it really helps you cut your teeth in sitting and just being peaceful and mindful and all these things. And, and we had some great teachers in that too. To be able to be still, mm -hmm. be able to just be present. And that's a valuable skill. It's a valuable skill to just be able to sit and be mindful and then just to experience things and be aware. And that's really, if you're going to break down meditation and mindfulness, it's awareness. That's really what it is. It's awareness. It's just awareness because the things that are going to be coming into your head and you're aware of them. It doesn't necessarily mean you visit with them, but they come in and then they pass. And then there are other things that'll come into your head and it's just about being aware. And those are very valuable practices because you can do that in anything. I can be very aware of what my body's doing right now when I'm sitting here with you. I can be aware of my environment. I can be aware of you. I can be aware of everything. And that helps me be really dialed in and into what someone's saying. Very much the application that that would happen or that would happen in everyday life. Two examples. Number one, if I have a patient who comes in and I ask, so what do you have going on this weekend? And they tell me, and then I don't see them for like a month and they come back and I said, how was that trip or event that you were at? And they're like, you remember that? I said, well, of course I remember that. How do I remember that? Mindfulness. Because I was present and I was 100% engaged in what they told me. And so therefore I remember it. 
because I was mindful and I was aware. And same thing, same very similar thing happened. I had a student who I asked what they were going to do for Easter. And then today I saw them in the hallway and I said, how did it go? And I gave them the specifics about what they told me. And they said, oh, you remembered. I said, why wouldn't I remember? I said, I asked you about it. And not to say that I have a perfect memory, not to say I remember everything everybody ever tells me, but that knowledge and discipline of being present and being aware and being mindful can have so many benefits in so many ways in everyday aspects of life, whether it's being more patient, being more understanding, even when you do something that you wish you hadn't done, being able to look back at that, reflect upon it, and then not let it bother you and not let it consume you to the point where it ruins your life because you're so full of regret or you're so negatively affected by what you did. Even that's a practice that requires a great amount of discipline. So we're never perfect and we'll never will be perfect and we never can do everything perfectly and we always have the need for improvement but these are all practices that help us tangibly understand what it is that we're doing and how we're doing it and how we're living in the world. And then also how we can make the world a better place because of what we choose to do with ourselves. Because there are a lot of people that walk this world that have no regard for their actions and behaviors, or at least it would seem that way. Now, I can't make that decision or judgment for other people, but it would seem that way where people just don't care about their emotions and how their emotions go off and they get angry. They yell at people. They're, you know, when something doesn't go right, they just go ahead and start screaming at that person. You know, that's not making the world a better place. And it takes an awful lot of work to compose yourself and to refrain from that and to look at a different way or more effective way of getting your point across. Even if you have a need, there's a better way to, to do that. And so sometimes mindfulness and meditation, those practices can help with that. From your mindfulness practice, your mindfulness journey, mindfulness, meditation, you learned so much about yourself. You learned about the human psyche, the human brain. You learned about stillness. You learned about so many facets incorporated with and through meditation. Where did that lead you to next? Sure. Through those practices. Now, when you get into the realm of mindfulness, meditation and those sorts of studies or disciplines, you can really go, in my opinion, and now again, I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm just, I'm one who experiences these things. So everything that I'm sharing is from an experiential standpoint, not from an expert standpoint where I know everything and so forth. And also, I want to make it very clear that when I say these things, that I'm not speaking negatively about any sort of these disciplines or anything. Because as I've just said, there is tremendous value in understanding these things. There also is, I'm trying to think how I can get into that, how I can articulate this. There are different levels to which you can do things. And I think that's kind of where the most impactful change came about for me, because you can engage in the same type of practice, but the intention of, your, of what you're doing, the why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and then who you're doing it for makes all the difference. And that is where things kind of changed for me. Now, when I was a, when I was a child, I was very, very into my faith and very into my religion. My parents enrolled me in a private Catholic school, and I loved God, and I loved Jesus, and I was, a, I was an altar boy. I sang in the choir. I would go to church, and I was a 
strong believer and I had strong faith in the Christian faith. That's how I was. I always was. And there's no doubt about it. And, you know, sometimes when you live your life and you have different experiences in your life, you start to introduce other thoughts or other philosophies or other mindsets and other facets of knowledge and so forth. I wouldn't say that I was ever shaken off of that, but there are times when it's like anything. When you're growing up and you're a child and your parents say something, you believe them without question because they're your parents. They're the authority. Why would they lie to you? Why would they say anything to you? I always laugh because I think of a story with my mom. <laughs> she didn't want me to go into this one room. She would teach these exercise classes, and she didn't want me to go into a room. And she told me, don't go in that room. And I said, why? She goes, because there are monsters in there. Okay, I won't go in the room. There are monsters. Oh, no, you were probably <laughs> scarred for life. That one room it was wasn't, scary. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. She didn't say it in a way to scare me, but she just didn't want me in that room. That was her way of doing it. And so as you get older and you realize, hey, that room didn't have monsters in it. Mom, you're, li- you're handing me a line. Those types of things, as we go through our experiences in life, even though you may have grown up hearing something or learning something or experiencing something, as you go through different life experiences, you're, you're always checking that against other things to see if there's truth or validity or whatever in those things, right? So I wouldn't say I ever drifted completely away from it, but I certainly opened myself up to like, okay, well, <laughs> what else is out there? I mean, what, what else are people saying? What, other, what are other religions saying? What are other disciplines saying? What are all these different things saying about life? And to cut to the chase, but then I'll come back, but to cut to the chase, I mean, what your convictions are and what you believe to be true. And then once you identify what that is that you believe to be true, then you want to make sure that whatever you're listening to and whatever you're engaging in has to be consistent with that. And I'll come back to that in a little bit, but I mean, that's what I'm going to say about it now, is that whatever you believe to be true and whatever you have faith in, then you have to be on the lookout for things that are congruent with that and things that are incongruent with that. And then you have to make sure that you are staying with the things that are congruent and not listening to the incongruencies. Because there are a lot of things in this world that go on and occur that are things that are a detriment to us and not helpful to us. And they sound like they might be good for us. And they seem like they are not harmful but they can actually do a lot of damage to us. So we have to be very mindful and use that discernment. So now going back. So when you get into mindfulness and meditation, in my opinion, through an experiential aspect of things, you can go one of two directions. You can meditate and be mindful and leave it at that, that you are continually pursuing a deeper understanding of self, a better sense of awareness, and go into those things. And Going into that direction and pursuing those things, man, if everybody did that, the world would be an awesome place because we're taking the time to put the work in. So there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing bad with that at all, at all. Because in that process, you're going to eventually find something somewhere, somehow, and it's going to make you a better person. Now, what may happen is a person who continues to do that will live a very fulfilled and happy and realized life and there you go. But you may have a certain group of people that that's not good enough for them because they're still not finding what they're looking for. So that might lead to the other option, which is integrating 
and including God in the equation. So some people who meditate, what they're going to do is they're going to realize that meditation actually is a way of connecting with God. To realize yourself, but to realize that you, yourself, wouldn't exist and doesn't exist and doesn't amount to a hill of beans unless God's in the equation, because God is the ultimate creator, God is the ultimate authority, and so forth. So I was thinking of an analogy, how I can even express this in like my journey of things. And I guess I would say it was kind of like going through this whole process of things and looking at the world and then disregarding or not even acknowledging the ultimate creator of it all. It's kind of like if I were to if I were to walk into a room and see a picture that was on a table. And I look at that picture and I don't know where it came from, but if you saw a picture that you didn't expect to see sitting on a table, what would your, some of your questions be? Why do you have that there? Okay. What's the meaning behind it? Okay. And also who made the picture, right? If you came into your house and there was a picture sitting on your floor that you didn't create, that you didn't make, one of the first questions you might wonder is, where did this come from? And who made, who did it? Who made it, right? Correct. So we live in this earth, and I'm not speaking poorly of anybody when I say this, but there are some people that, that dance around the ultimate question, which was, who made it? Who made this world? And we think that this world just happened randomly. That would be like the equivalent of putting a piece of paper on the floor and throwing some crayons next to it and then hoping to come back in 30 years and have some sort of picture <laughs> arrive on it. Now, that's my opinion, okay? That doesn't mean it's fact. That doesn't mean anything. That's just my opinion. But so what I'm saying is my experiences of things were very much I'm pursuing, I'm trying, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm pursuing, I'm trying, I'm looking, I'm pursuing. And what I'm doing is I'm dancing around the big answer to the whole question. It'd be like looking at that piece of paper and saying, okay, well, let's find out more about the paper that it was written on, drawn on. Okay, and what were the materials that they used? And trying to find the answer to that and say, okay, well, well, what's the depth of that paper? That's is that cardstock? Is that or is it like tracing paper? Was it a Crayola crayon or was it a rose crayon that that did that? And when did they start drawing that? How long did it take for it to be drawn? And why did they draw it? And let's analyze the strokes. You can go on and on and on and on and on about this picture. But ultimately, if you're dancing around who created that picture, then you're not going to have the answers that you're searching for. Because if you go to the person who made that picture, they would be able to tell you exactly how it was made, the reason for it, why, and all the things that you want to know about it. When we engage in practices or we engage in any sort of activity in our life, and we dance around the fact that there is a creator, and we don't acknowledge the creator, we're doing, in my opinion, we're doing a tremendous disservice to ourselves and the world. Because if you don't do that, if you don't acknowledge the creator and the ultimate authority, and the ultimate, the God, the most powerful, if you don't acknowledge that in your life, in my opinion, you are doing you and everybody around you a tremendous disservice. And you can work in this world and you can do it. And the Hindu religion will talk about this. And I'm not talking bad about the Hindu religion. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the Hindu religion, for sure. The Vedic scriptures of the Hindus are very, very, very wise 
And man, if we could read those and understand those and follow those, again, the world would be a better place. I'm not saying they're the end all, the be all, whatever, but people in the Hindu faith would say that they are the end all, be all. Just like if you say to a Christian, what do you think? They say the Bible is the end all, be all. So we all have our scriptures, right? But in the one of the Hindu scriptures called the Bhagavad Gita, there's this discussion between Arjun and Krishna, and Krishna is trying to tell Arjun that to live in this world, you have to honor your duties. You have to do what your job is. You can't not do your duties. So in other words, you can't be lazy. You're not supposed to be lazy, okay? That's the, that is the message. But if you keep reading this book, you're going to see that that's just step one. But then later on in the book, they're going to explain to you the why. Why do you need to do your job? Well, you need to do your job because you're going to do your job in service to God. And that's exactly the same application across. And that's what I was saying before. You have to look for consistencies. So if you believe, if I believe in my Christian faith 100% that my job is to do what I do in this world to glorify God to serve God, that I do what I do to get closer to God, and I continue to do everything I can to pursue that relationship with God, to involve God in my life, and to realize how God is involved in every single facet and aspect of my life, and that makes my life better and makes everybody else's life better. If I'm a Christian and I believe that, and then I go over and I read the Hindu scriptures, and the Hindu scriptures are saying exactly the same thing, then they're in congruity. I look at them and say, hey, they're saying the same thing that they're saying, and so therefore, I see that there's congruity there, and basically, they're both saying the same thing, is that there's a God, and we need to love our God, fear our God, and we need to serve our God. And no matter what we do, we do it in service to God. And that's how I ended up here at this chiropractic office, because I was perfectly happy instructing and doing that and having time in my day to spend with my family and be with my family. And family is very important to me. But one day I was driving home and there it was. All of a sudden I got that nudge from above and I was told, it's time for you to open up your chiropractic practice. It's time for you to serve the community. It's time for you to serve the people. It's time for you to serve me by doing what you're going to do. You have something to do. You have something to offer that's different than what other people do. You have something to offer because of your experiences, because of your knowledge, because of the things that you've been through. You have something unique to offer to others in service of me. And so when I walk in this office and I do what I do in this office, it's always 100% mindful and 100% in understanding that the work I do here in this office is 100% in service to God. And that's why I do what I do. Uh, and I walk onto the campus. I thank God for the ability to be able to teach. I thank God for the opportunity to teach. I'm so thankful that I have the blessings in my life that I can do what I'm doing. And that has been the fundamental thing that has changed things for me tremendously. Because instead of always striving, 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 and always wanting to do something with the expectation of having an impact on other people, now I let go of that expectation and I just do things for God without any expectation 
of the results. And then God takes care of the rest. But that's how I got to be doing what I'm doing now through all those experiences. And what you were just saying, did you actually go back and study these ancient texts? Yes and no. They're really hard to read. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you have to translate. Yeah. So when I say these things, I got to be really careful because, and I'm not saying to you, I, I'm just saying out loud, I got to be really careful because I know that this is not something that people like to hear. And I don't want people to think that I, I don't, I don't care what people think, but I don't want it to be interpreted that as a Christian, me being a Christian, that I'm less Christian or whatever, because I took the time to study and evaluate other religions and other faiths. We are all on this planet. There are yeah. many religions. I yeah. don't think that anyone should be judged. Right. And the reason why I say this is because there are some Christians that will look at anybody who even like investigates. So I'm just... No, no <laughs> judgments long, here. It's no. a long disclaimer, but I got to say it because I don't know who's going to listen to this and how they're going to interpret it. So to answer your question, have I read the scriptures? I have read some of them, but again... If you look at the Vedic scriptures, and there's four, I believe, four parts to the Vedic scriptures, and don't beat me up if I'm incorrect on this, but they are very, 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 very difficult to read. Darn near impossible. And so the way it works is that you can't really read them. They're very difficult to read. And so what you need to do is you need to find yourself a guru who is God-realized, so basically the equivalent of a God-realized saint. And these are people, these are God-realized saints that have a gift from God to be able to read these Vedic scriptures and then dumb them down to our level. That's basically what it, what it comes down to. And so I've spent a lot of time in that realm and a lot of time doing study, and it's what I'm telling you is that it looks different than Christianity, but in the end, if you can serve God in an unselfish way without any sort of expectation of anything coming back to you, if you give yourself unconditionally in service to God, then you will become God-realized. But that's, that is a very tall task because all of us have desires and all of us sin and all of us do things that take us away from that. And so we live in a flipped world. We live in an upside-down world where we idolize people, and we're all about how many likes we get in, on Facebook, and how many people are following us, and how many people listen to us, and how many people do this. And then we have sports where we idolize athletes, then we create TV shows. And I'm not speaking poorly of sports or music or any entertainment. I like to go to the movies and watch the movies too, but you have to know what you're watching and what you're doing and why you're doing it. We have these things that are like distractions. And they're pleasurable in this world. And as we continue to engage in the pleasures, then we are basically setting back our progress in getting closer to God. So we can either choose the world or we can choose God, but the world is so attractive and so wonderful and they appeal to our senses. But ultimately, that is a test. That's a test of God saying, even though you're presented with all these things that look great, feel great, smell great, taste great, all these things that I'm putting in front of you, do you see the greatness in me? And do you see how much greater I am than all of those things could ever be? And that's, that's, an, oh, that's a big challenge. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm a very <laughs> sinful person, and I enjoy pleasures of the world. 
I haven't arrived, but that's what I was saying about the pursuit and mindfulness and meditation. Like, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for reasons that are selfish? Are you doing it to glorify God? But I think we'll get a lot closer to those things that we're striving for if we can just let God be part of the equation. Then we can be expert meditators, we can be mindful as ever, but if we're meditating upon God, the concept of loving kindness, we might get a little bit further. And if we're mindful not of our body and what our body is physically doing, but if we're mindful about maybe something that God is trying to put on our heart, then maybe our mindfulness would be more productive. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying mindfulness and meditation are are not valuable practices. They sure are, but the why is the difference. And so I could be engaged in mindfulness and meditation, and I could do that and do that, but the why is so important. Why am I meditating? Why do I want to be mindful? And if I'm doing that to glorify God and to get closer to God, then that might be a more valuable meaning and purpose behind it, and that's going to get you a lot closer to finding satisfaction in your life, in your world. And we are each in this human experience. We're all at our own level. We're all on our own self-growth journey. And to be presented with the opportunity to have a different perspective, but to realize that there's more behind it, the creator behind the mind to Mm -hmm. be mindful with. And to have that perspective, I think, can change everything. It can change your entire life. Absolutely. It has the potential to do it. And we haven't even scratched the surface on what it means to be a Christian and what it means to to be, you know, a child of God and all those things. That's an entirely different conversation. But there's a lot of value in just acknowledging that we have a creator that is beyond our ability to comprehend. And we like to think that we're important, which we are, and God created us to be individual and unique and important, but we're not more important than God. And I think that when we approach from that perspective. I mean, the, the thing that always gets me about God, ever since I was a little kid, if you ever want to comprehend how remarkable God is, think about a few things. So think about all the people that have ever lived on this earth. God knows them by name. All the people that live on the earth right now, God knows them by name. All the people that will ever live, God knows them by name. God knows exactly how many cells are in their body, how many hairs are in their head? And that's just people. Now, you, you take that to all the animals that have ever lived. Knows how many hairs are in each one of those animals. Knows all those animals by name. Knows every tree. Knows every pebble. Every grain of sand. God is smaller than the smallest. God is larger than the largest. And then you think about, okay, how long has God been around? Who created God? Nobody created God. Okay, well, where did God start? <laughs> if you just think about those things, I don't have the answers to that. But God does. And so we're not in any position to ever think that we are so powerful because we can't even comprehend. And that's just the things we can see. Now think about the things that we can't see that God is entirely involved in. When someone dies, where do they go? God knows. I can't see them, but God can, right? There's a lot of things that we can't comprehend and we can't see and we don't understand. And God has the answer to all those things. If you're keeping God out of the equation in your life and you're aspiring for greater things, you're, in my opinion, you're cutting yourself short of all the, the wonderful things that life can offer you, and you just have to open that door and let God in. How has your belief in God affected and improved 
your own life? Well, like I said, I, I've lived a pretty good life from young on. Not to say that I was born into or with privilege by any means, which, which I wasn't. And not to say that I hadn't gone through and I haven't gone through hard times. I've gone through very difficult and hard times in my life more difficult and harder than many people would want to have ever experienced, but not as bad as other people have experienced either. To me, having God in your life gives you a lot of answers. And having God in your life provides you with peace and satisfaction in knowing that you have someone who's going through it with you, really. If you don't have God in your life and you run into this situation that is absolutely devastating or impossible. If you don't have God to go through it with you, who do you have? You have people, but sometimes people are not going to give you what you need or what you want. And so I think the biggest thing that has come to me in having God in my life is that I always know that there is someone who always was and is and always will be who is unchanging and is bigger than anything than I can ever comprehend because they created it if I have that, that being in my life, on my side, advocating for me, then I'm pretty good off. Not to say that we don't come into hardships. And people who are strong in their faith in God suffer from hardships just like everybody else. And we experience downs like everybody else. And we experience challenges. And we hear news we don't want to hear. And we experience losses that we don't want to experience. But having God in your life gives you the reassurance that there is a being that knows more than we do and knows what's good for us and knows what we need, but also gives us love and grace and mercy. And when we know that God is giving us those things because all we do is believe in him and acknowledge him as our creator, when we can do that, it gives us that, that self-assurance that we know we're, we at least have someone on our side. And some people may call it God, spirit, source, universe, whatever your belief system is, just believe in the higher power. There's a creator there. Yeah, for sure. All-knowing, all-doing, all-powerful. Yeah. If you were able to give our listeners some advice or some direction to inspire them to pursue their own self-growth journey, their own path, what would you say? I would say that we can probably all agree we, we have a moral compass of some sort. What is right? What is wrong? What's good? What's bad? And we all come to where we are through various means. I mean, we're all on our own journey. I would say that it's really important to just be open to and listen to the intuitive nudges that you get. Even if you're not a person of faith and you're, you're looking for the next thing to help you along, listen to those intuitive nudges you have to be open to those intuitive nudges to just help guide you along to what's beneficial for you. And you'll find yourself on the right path. I had been studying and reading that if God created all things good and all things in love, mm-hmm. and there is only goodness, mm-hmm. then man not being able to see or perceive God through our humanity sees us as being separate from God. Mm-hmm. And then we through, I'll just call it our humanity, and our separateness deem that since we are separate, then almost like man creates or concocts that separation. And that separation can be a, like a distraction. It can be possibly present itself as evil mm-hmm. when it 
doesn't exist. It's yep. it, it's not there. God, because you're saying maybe God created that other force just to give us challenges, like the forge and the iron, and to, to, mm-hmm. to shape us to become better. Or God didn't create it, and man, through his humanity, just sees us as being separate from God. And then that kind of along that same lines of we're still striving to mm-hmm. be entirely good, but maybe there is not an actual evil force that exists that God created, but almost like man created it. That would be really nice if there wasn't that. So I would love, and I'm saying that's a very valid theory. That would be awesome, because then we wouldn't have to think about that other (laughs) entity that is negatively working against us, that's for sure. Yeah, that's a very interesting theory. And so many different Mm -hmm. belief systems out there. Oh, yeah. Every religion, and not even religion, every spirituality, every belief, every individual seems to have their own belief system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we don't know the answers. We don't know. We don't know. There's so much that's beyond our ability to understand and, and comprehend. Before we wrap up, going back to the book that you authored, mm-hmm. it is called Rise Above. And then what was the subtitle? Criticism, Negativity, and Conflict. Can you give me a brief synopsis about what that book is about? It's, it's all about nonviolent communication, where you you learn how to structure what you say to people so that way it doesn't lead to them getting offended. So instead of holding other people responsible for our feelings, it's owning our feelings and then being able to either communicate to people what it is that we want or to help other people work through it so that way you can get from them what it is that they need so that you can help meet the need if it's like a negative emotion or whatever that you can help them get to a better better place. So basically, if someone comes to you and they're complaining or they're yelling at you, how to diffuse that and extract from it what they really are getting at and then help them get what they need, that's the gist of it. If you were like in customer service and someone calls on the phone and starts yelling at you, how to pick that apart so that you could get the person what they wanted and diffuse the situation so they're no longer screaming at you or yelling at you. That's what it is. Thank you so much for this conversation today. For yeah. our listeners that want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to contact you? There's a place where they can contact me on my website. So if they go to animityhealth.com, there's a... Could you spell that, please? A-N as in Nancy, I-M as in Mary, I-T as in Tom, Y as in yellow, animity, animityhealth.com. There should be a place in there where you can, a contact link where you fill out a form. You can also call our office and the number is on our website too if you have any questions or you need anything. Yeah, those are the best ways to contact us, either through the website or just by phone. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that we missed or anything else that you wanted our listeners to glean? (laughs) Like I said, I just, for anybody who listens to this, I am someone who, who lives an experiential life. I'm just living life and experiencing it and taking it as it comes. And I'm just extracting from what extracting what I learned from that. So I never had had arrived. I'm not arrived, and I probably never will arrive. I'm not an authority. I'm not an expert. I am someone who, like I said, is a Christian. Identify with a Christian. There's value to everything that everybody does, whether it's bringing them closer or further away. There's always a an, a reason for and a purpose for everything. So I just want to make sure that whatever I've said, whatever I've gone through here in this conversation doesn't get interpreted as me talking negatively about any person, any practice, any belief, because that certainly is not the intention. I just hope that 
If I said something that was beneficial and helpful, great. If I said something that you disagree with, that it leads maybe to other things and other growth and development in you, great. It doesn't matter. I'm just glad to be able to share. And this is your story. That's right. So that's all it is. No judgment, no analysis. It just is what is. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that our listeners can take a lot away from this conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is Conversations to Inspire with your host, Teresa Moore. Join us next week as we explore a different facet of the mind-body-spirit connection. Help promote the show by subscribing and following this podcast and leave a five-star review so we can continue to get incredible guests as we dive further into the mind-body-spirit connection.